0: So as long as it's fair, as long as it's voluntary, inequality is fine. Inequality is great. We want those who succeed to be more rewarded than those who destroy value. But in the sense of our current environment, we have really sinister inequality. If everybody, you know, if, if the water's flowing and everyone is benefiting, right, everyone's cup is filled, um, people are happy, right? They have better things to do than to line up outside of someone's house and threaten to chop their head off. You know, I, I don't think we should be setting up guillotines anywhere. And that's that's why I love Bitcoin. It's the peaceful revolution, right? Um, but why do people want to set up these guillotines? Because they know the system isn't working. Um, it's not working for them. And despite, you know, working
1: very hard at, um, at many jobs and climbing the ladders, it's still, uh, you know, the prospects for retirement uh, even even the ability to afford a home today is
0: is just it, it, it's it's outside the reach of so many very hardworking americans the
1: system is not serving them uh this the system stratifies wealth uh through asset inflation and uh in disproportionate access to to assets
0: hello and welcome to the tucson blockchain podcast my name is alex and today i have on fed up biz owner who is an anonymous Twitter personality that has made a lot of waves in the Twitter community? He has some pretty interesting takes on the world of politics and why we need stimulus so bad in our communities right now. I really enjoyed this podcast and felt like I learned a lot, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Alrighty, and we're recording. I uh, just want to welcome Fed Up Biz Owner to the Tucson Blockchain channel. And uh, this guy is pretty awesome. He's been on a couple of podcasts that I would highly suggest. One is the Dr. Dark After Dark podcast, and then the um, what Bitcoin did podcast, and he's got a really interesting perspective on the world of uh, small businesses and lending. So yeah, uh, could you give the listeners a little bit of a background?
1: Yeah, so I uh, I graduated high school in two thousand and one. Um, I sort of fell into franchise financing. Um, well, let me rephrase. I went to college. Uh, after high school, clearly <laughs> um, and sort of I graduated and sort of fell into a company um that did franchise financing. I had no idea what the hell that was. I was literally you know twenty one years old and said, "Okay, how do I make as much money as possible as quickly as possible?" Um, you know i my background was in political science. I interviewed with with you know the city to be a probation officer um, to, to be a cop, to, you know, do social work, whatever the case may be. And I was like, yeah, there's, there's just not enough money here. So I interviewed with about 20 companies, uh, had a bunch of offers and I I just chose a a company that, you know, I, I had an interview, I felt comfortable and, you know, the way their, their program worked, it was, you make what you earn and there's no limit. And if you work hard, you get the connections, you you know, you do what you do, you know, literally sky's the limit. Being 21 years old, lawsuit in debt, I said, let's roll. And it it just so happened that I stumbled into a very, very, very niche segment of the economy, which is franchising and, and specifically franchise financing. Now it, it's grown a lot since I started, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, it's currently 10% of GDP. Uh, you know, in terms of franchises, and I've sort of grown right along with it. Uh, you know, worked for the company I was with for uh, about ten years. Went to law school during that time at night. Graduated, got my law degree, passed the bar, um, and then eventually started my own company, uh, offering franchise lending and, and consulting services to uh, you know clients of, of multiple concepts throughout the country, big, small startups, you know, things everybody's familiar with, you know, Domino's, Taco Bell, uh, Planet Fitness. Um, you know, I, I work up and down the the spectrum of the industry. Um, and I sort of just grown with it as, uh, as things have it as developed.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. There's definitely not a lot of money, uh, working as a cop or a social worker or probation officer. Um, so what are franchises and how do they work?
1: So, so uh, basically, like a franchise is as simple as this. Somebody has an idea. It's a good idea. And they don't want to, you know, build 700 units themselves. So rather than build it all themselves and deal with the operational issues and the management issues and all, and all the personnel issues to come with it, Um, they basically just sub license out areas to people, you, me, your parents, your friends, whoever that believe in the concept and, and are like, you know what, that that's a good idea. I like it. Uh, I didn't come up with it on my own, but you know, they offer me scale. They offer me, you know, uh, products at a discount that I can sell to make more money versus what I could buy on my own. Um, and, and things of that nature. So, Basically, if you're going to buy a franchise, you're buying into uh, someone's idea that you didn't think of, and that you can't do better for cheaper. Because obviously, with with a franchise, you pay a royalty to the franchisor uh, for their marketing, for the product discount, for scale, um, you know, things like that. So typically, the royalty fees are about eight percent off the top, which you know, for some things you could consider excessive, but I want you to think of it this way. If you want to open a gym, yeah, you could open a gym, right? But do you know Joe Smith gym or do you know Planet Fitness gym, right? Where, where are you more likely to go if you're faced with a choice and, and don't know, well, I don't really know Joe's gym and I know Planet. Um, I know they're good, I know what it looks like. Where am I gonna go as a consumer? So if you have that value add, it makes a lot of sense to use a franchise. Um, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy the franchise. If you don't see that, and, and here's an example. Um, you know, there's dog daycare franchises. Why do you need a franchise for dog daycare? Just go advertise in your community. Why are you gonna pay somebody eight percent? for something you could send out flyers for, right? Like, I don't see the scale in in certain concepts that someone can't do on their own and save that 8%, because a lot of times that 8% is your bottom line between profitability or, or, or unprofitability. So you just have to think about it in terms of, you know, what does the franchise itself give to me, right? Like McDonald's, right? If you have a McDonald's, everybody knows McDonald's. That's great. You have name recognition. If you don't have that, or there's no value add in terms of pricing of the products that that are offered, you know, a franchise doesn't really make sense. But if you have it, franchising makes lots of sense.
0: Yeah. It seems like a very valuable uh, uh, thing to have a brand. Uh, I know when I go through the airport, I'm likely to get McDonald's just because I'm familiar with what it
1: is and Right. Um, are you, are you yeah. going to go to, are you going to go to the, the Joe Smith burger shack or are you going to go to McDonald's? You're, you're exactly talking about what the value is. Um, and, and that, that works the same throughout pretty much all concepts. Um, and you just have to decide, you know, cause if you're, if you're a business owner, you have to decide if you want to give somebody 8% of your gross revenue right off the top. Cause that's a huge number in a lot of cases. Right, if you have a million dollars in sales, you're giving somebody, you know, eighty thousand dollars just to put their name on your sign. Um, so, I mean, it's a lot to consider, and there really has to be a value add in order to, to to get into the space. But I will tell you, the model works, and there is value add, but not with every franchise concept. With the good ones, there's definitive value add.
0: Sure. Uh, so where are we at right now in regards to the lending market? How is that looking?
1: Well, if you had asked me this two weeks ago, um, I would have told you lending market was back on. Um, it, it, so from March through, what are we, September? Uh, March through the end of August, uh, it was like there was a, a giant dam. Uh, in terms of lending, so you know, it, it in the franchise market, which realistically is just small, small and medium businesses, right? Guys that own one, two, three, four units, not you know, hundred million dollar software companies. These these are your neighbors that own four restaurants, or or four gyms, or or four massages, four massage clinics, or for wax centers or, or, things like that, right? These are, these are small business owners. Um, from March through say August, it's like there was a brick wall for lending, uh, through the end of August, I should say. And it, it didn't matter what you did, what your sales were, conventional SBA, just impossible to get money. Um, now, there are exceptions to that, right? If you're a legacy brand, think like Domino's, McDonald's, Taco Bell, anything you could literally name off the top of your head. For instance, if you get off the highway, if, there, if, if your name was on the, the uh, there's food at this exit sign, brands like that. If you're on that list, you could probably get money. If you were not, you were not getting money. And, and, and it honestly, it didn't even matter your sales. You could be thriving through COVID, through the shutdowns and everything that was going on. You just, you couldn't get money. And I'd say right after Labor Day, it, it was like a switch flipped. And I got approvals through SBA, through conventional. Uh, I had private equity guys begging for deals, hedge funds. What do you got? Let's go. It, it was like, like the credit market was like, all right, we're back. But since one day? I feel like we've shut down and hit a dam again. So uh, it I really honestly don't have an honest to goodness feel for where we are, um, I thought I did two weeks ago. I thought I did three months ago, which was, you know, in terms of the lending market is zero. Um, then I thought we were back and now uh, I honestly don't know. Um, I don't know if there's something going on behind the scenes, but it just seems like lending has been put on hold again. Um, And that's not going to be good if that happens again.
0: So when lending is put on hold like that, what are the impacts on the economy as a whole?
1: I mean, I I can't speak to, to the, the global economy. Um, But in in my world, um, if there's no lending, you can't grow. Right. So, So there's a couple impacts. the The biggest one is, well, let me let me restate this. If you have a business that is that is stable, right? Say you own a a jerk. You familiar with Jersey Mike's? I'm sure you are, with where you live. Yeah. Um, Great brand, right? So say you own a Jersey Mike sub shop. Say you own four of them in Phoenix, and you're doing fine. Okay. Well, there's no harm, no foul, right? If you don't, if you're not trying to expand, or you don't need to refinance your debt because you can't make your payments, or you just you're just in a spot where you can stay status quo. Honestly, the lending market shutting down doesn't matter um, as long as you can pay your bills. Where it matters is if you're struggling and could use a a lifeline of some working capital. Um, And do me a favor, follow up with me on what those programs look like in five minutes. Um, Or you are a a five-unit operator who wants to buy two additional units in your market from underperforming franchisees who are are hurting your profitability because they're run poorly. You can't get money to buy them. So it, it's downstream effects more so than necessarily an impact. It impacts growth. It impacts, you know, profitability if, if guys around you are, are not performing correctly, you know, and upholding brand standards, um, you know. But say, say you're a guy with 15 units and you want to buy somebody with five units, you can't do that if there's no money. And that's the issue you have. The economy stagnates right? You can't, I like to, to frame it like this. Sharks like to eat. If the lending shut down, sharks can't eat. And, you know, whether, whether that's good or not, you know, meaning, meaning there's more people who have jobs because, you know, I'm a small business owner with one unit and I still own it and I'm paying my bills and I can live great. Okay. That's fine. But at the end of the day, the guy with 50 units who wants to go to a hundred He wants to buy you. And if that guy can't get money to buy you, it slows down economic growth because the guy with 50 is going to make things more profitable for everybody. They're going to streamline it. Just like tech, you know, technology streamlines other industries. It's the the same sort of parallel concept. Um, And and so that's where the effects are really felt. Um, If you get back to the working capital stuff, you know, there are predatory lenders in my sector, they're predatory lenders in every sector. They do these stupid working capital cash advance loans where you're giving accounts receivable away to a bank for 10, 15, 20% margins. Meaning you borrow a hundred thousand dollars so you can make payroll and, and pay your suppliers. Uh, and that money will cost you 20, $30,000 over 12 months and it's paid back over 12 to 18 months. I refuse to do these loans. I will not allow my clients to do these loans. But they are out there, they are prevalent, and they are catastrophic to the economy because they put otherwise somewhat healthy businesses in dire straits if sales don't pick up. And so, you know, there, there there's just a, a multitude of factors. When conventional lending shuts off, people get desperate and desperate people make bad decisions. And we're going to get real close to that, that probability by, I would say, end of January, if things don't improve. And and I mean, improve rapidly.
0: Yeah. In Tucson, you know, you're in a bad neighborhood when you see those, uh, paid loans or title loan, uh, places. And it's interesting to hear that that's a practice in the businesses, or in the business world as well. Um, so yeah, you talking about January, so it, it, you were we were talking a little bit before the we started recording, but uh, things are changing daily. So what do you, what's on the you have some interesting predictions on your uh, uh, Twitter page, what do you think is on the table for the upcoming election and following?
1: Um, in terms of, in terms of what, (laughs) which, which aspect, the, the economy and stimulus or in terms of, of the election and how that's going to work with lawsuits and, and, and catastrophic results, which part do you want to delve into? Well,
0: yeah, let's talk about stimulus first, and then we'll get into the, the potential for the contested election.
1: So I posted this earlier. I don't know if you saw it. Um, The eviction more. So let's talk about the evictions because for renters and, and home foreclosures, this matters. The moratorium on evictions and foreclosures only applies to Fannie and Freddie back loans. So I want you to think about this on how this all works. Okay. Um, and, and I'll get into more detail in a second. If you have a Fannie and Freddie-backed mortgage, the government, you're going to be able to stay in your house through the end of the year, through executive order, because Fannie and Freddie are owned by the government. It is what it is. Uh, same thing if if you're a renter or a homeowner. If, if the person who owns the property has a Fannie or Freddie-backed mortgage, they passed an executive order, no foreclosures. Okay, that's great. But that's ridiculous because it is not solving any type of problem whatsoever. Majority of rental properties in this country, if you live, now, if you live in a single family unit, it's a different story because that's not the issue that I'm, that I'm getting at. But anybody who lives in a large apartment building or lives in a uh, apartment development, there's no way that that property owner has a Fannie or Freddie Mae back loan. It, it, there's no way because of the lending limits. Okay. So those properties are, are owned outside of the Fannie and Freddie, Freddie Mac system. Okay. I apologize for the dogs. I'm outside. Your listeners are going to have to deal with it. Um, so because of that foreclosures and, and evictions, are going to be allowed to proceed on any property in which Fannie and Freddie do not hold the mortgage. Now, the private lenders basically gave people deferrals and whatnot that that almost uniformly ended at at the end of August. Between August and September, those deferrals and all of that just ended across the board for, for property owners. So what happens is you own a property where there's a hundred units. All of those renters are at risk. All of them, unless the state has done something. And by the way, I think if the state has tried to do something, it's probably unconstitutional and the landlords are going to, are, are, are going to try uh, to overturn it and evict the tenants that aren't paying because they have to pay their mortgage, and they have to pay their bondholders. So all of these evictions are quite literally coming to a head in the next 15 weeks. And so I want you to think about it this way. Say you had uh, an eviction moratorium that ended on August 31st, which most of them did. The landlord on September 2nd or, or, or 1st, is filing that eviction paperwork with the courts. Uh, I've asked my, my people on Twitter to do research and just find out how many eviction proceedings have been filed nationwide. No one's got back to me. Maybe someone listening to this, they'll go do it. But I guarantee you it's enormous. And so what happens is all of those petitions for eviction are filed September 2nd, September 3rd, September 4th, September 5th, wherever the case may be. The renters, they have 30 days to pay back rent you're not allowed to evict people in most states for 30 days for not paying rent so what happens is 30 days from september 2nd is october 2nd they haven't still paid their rent that landlord's going to go to court they're going to go seek a judgment against the renter and then they're going to try to physically remove him within 14 days so what ends up happening here is between now and probably October 15th, you're going to have a large, large wave of renters who are evicted from their homes. No one's talking about it. No one understands it. And if they do, they're just sweeping it under the rug. And I'm praying that Congress passes stimulus sometime in the next five to 10 days. Because after that point, it's going to be too late for them to get the money in order to pay their landlords before they're physically removed from the property. So we're really under, under a time crunch as relates to stimulus. And quite frankly, I think that in and of itself, I I would expect in the next two to three days that the media starts harping on that issue because it's, it, if you have a brain and understand the law in any capacity, you understand that this is coming. And I'm praying that the media starts it to start ramping up the pressure on Congress to actually pass this bill. Because if they do not, not only are you going to see the, the shit that's going on in the stock market, which I'm not an expert on and I don't care. It's just going to keep going down until they pass it because it is what it is because it's a fake Ponzi scheme. But you're going to have real pain for Americans if they don't have this money because they're not going to be able to buy food and they're not going to be able to pay rent. And they quite literally are going to get evicted from their homes. And that's going to lead to, I don't even want to know what type of chaos over the next four to six weeks if you have a mass eviction thing going on in multiple states nationally. Never mind the fact that half of the Democratic states are quite literally fundamentally bankrupt and can't make their payrolls. So something's got to give here. I mean, I know that it's politics. I know that it's hardball. And, and I get it all, but if they don't do something and they dig their heels in because of X, Y, Z, it's just going to devastate the people. It's going to devastate the consumer, which is going to weigh on small business. It's going to weigh on big business, and it's going to weigh on everybody if they don't figure out how to get money into people's hands. There are two things that in, in this world that at the end of the day people care about. One is housing, one is food. If both of those are in jeopardy because you have food prices rising and you can't pay your rent, bad things happen. And we're getting real close to that point.
0: Yeah, it's pretty apparent. Uh, We're in some desperate need of stimulus and it's really the only option that we have. Uh, Tucson is uh, interesting in the extent of the wealth inequality that we're we are experiencing here. So the stat in 2017 was that about a quarter of Tucson uh, was below the poverty line. Um, And so a lot of those individuals are going to be living in the types of apartments that you were talking about and are at risk of eviction. And that's pretty wild to think about that. Uh, I mean, it's probably higher than that because uh, what we know is uh, a large portion of the country, somewhere around 50% couldn't pay an unexpected $400 bill before the crisis started, let alone now that after the COVID shutdowns have really wrecked all these different jobs and shut down these businesses, I, I, I can't imagine.
1: Um, now, that being said, you know, the states and local governments and counties are trying to stop the foreclosures. But speaking purely, you know, just, just from a legal side of things, I'm not sure that them trying to stop these evictions and foreclosures is constitutionally legal. Like I have a significant opinion that the landlords are going to win these lawsuits because they have mortgages that they have to pay also. And the bondholders who own the commercial real estate have investors that they need to pay also. So if you're not bailing out the bondholders or, or the guys who own the property, which currently we are not, and nor should we in my opinion, um, you have to allow the evictions because they have to replace them with tenants. You're, you're, in, a, you're in a no-win situation here uh, as relates to this. So I, it, catastrophe looms within three weeks, and I'm just going to leave it there.
0: Yeah, so the choices on the table right now are to print lots of money um, and just throw it everywhere you can um, in an attempt to try and stop the sinking ship or to, uh, I don't know. I mean, I have thoughts of like the potential of like, you know, them trying to nationalize housing altogether, um, which is kind of a wild. Well, I, have
1: thoughts about, I have thoughts about lots of things that I won't get into, but that, <laughs> that would—that would that would not be out of the realm of possibility.
0: Yeah,
1: nothing I mean, any, is at this point.
0: Yeah, any anything goes so. Um, so yeah, uh your latest tweet that I saw Trump caves shortly grand bargain for dem procedural nonsense to end in Senate for SCJ nomination, Nancy gets what so, so you think the Democrats are going to be able to get their uh, stimulus passed? Is that what you were saying? I think I lost you. Can you hear
1: me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, sorry. You still there? Yeah, I have
0: this bad habit of leaving my VPN on the server for too long and then it gets overloaded and changes. All right. Um, So you think that uh, Trump's going to, the Republicans are going to cave on the, Democratic stimulus, Bill? Was that what you were saying?
1: I I don't think they're going to have much of a choice, quite frankly. Because if they don't, what I just told you is going to play out. And you can't have hungry, homeless people right before an election. And I I, I mean, I'm not a market guy. It's just, it's not my thing. But I, I am fairly confident that the only thing Trump is running on is the stock market um he talks about it at every 5 minutes and i have a sneaking suspicion that the market is about to have a very 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 bad couple of days if they don't pass stimulus um and i just happen to think that at the end of the day you're going into an election um and i want you to let's talk about the justice stuff in a second cuz it plays into this um I happen to think that it would be suicide for a stimulus bill not to be passed. Um, I think it, I think it ends very, very, very badly for the Republicans not to pass stimulus at the end of the day. The way I view it is this, and, and by the way, I'm a Republican. Well, I'm not a Republican. I'm a libertarian, but I slant Republican because I cannot vote for a Democrat under any circumstance. So, At the end of the day, the bottom line is this. They've passed a stimulus bill. The Democrats have. The Republicans disagree with it. But at the end of the day, the Democrats have passed a stimulus bill. They want to give $3.5 trillion, which would help everybody. Now, Trump doesn't want to bail out states and local governments. That's his choice. That's fine. But at the end of the day, the Democrats want to give $2,400 to certain families, backdated, by the way, through, I I forget the date, but it's backdated 2,400. So you're talking about, for certain middle-class families, $10,000 checks instantaneously. Like, this is not a little number. So the high ground, to me, belongs with the Democrats. And, you you know, I thought a stimulus bill was coming this week, by the way, had Ruth Bader Ginsburg not died. I think it was coming. I think it would have been more scaled down. Um, some things would have been, you know, removed. Now, I think the stimulus bill that's coming is three trillion plus, because the Republicans, in my view, are in the position of of this. They want a Supreme Court justice. They want it at all costs, which is fine, but. I don't think the guy who works for Mercedes changing tires, or the, dent, uh, or the dental assistant, or the volleyball coach, or the teacher, or uh, the guy who programs software for Oracle, gives two shits about the Supreme Court justice. That guy cares about the following. Can I buy food? Can I pay my rent? Or can I pay my mortgage? If those answers are no, and the answer is, well, and the spin hasn't started yet, but believe me, the spin's coming. (laughs) That, well, we're not doing stimulus because you needed to put a justice through. I promise you, mind you, I want a conservative on the court personally, but I can guarantee you that people who are in the middle, and who are undecided, don't give two flying fucks what happens with the Supreme Court. They care about what happens tomorrow. Can they pay rent? And can they buy food? And if they can't do that because you want to put a justice through, you're going to have problems as that party. It's really, I could be wrong on that, but I really don't think I am.
0: Yeah, it it seems like a, kind of a non-issue compared to what we're up against right now. If people, I I saw this week that there's a new startup company that's like an Uber for evictions, where you can hire if you're a landlord, you can hire uh, processors. Did Steve
1: Did Steve, and, Mnuchin, did, did Steve found it? <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's just amazing that he's the Treasury Secretary. Treasurer, I can't talk right now, Secretary of the Treasury right now. It's after what he pulled in 2008, um, we're following it. But yeah, uh, yeah, it seems like a non-issue in comparison. Uh, it's pretty wild to think about. Uh, so pretty much if, if the Democrats get that stimulus passed, it seems like uh, Biden might have the election in his pocket is that what you're thinking? Uh,
1: no, I, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I just know that if they don't pass the stimulus, I'm not sure that we get to the election. <laughs> because we're talking about people evicted, and that is coming. No one's talking about it, but I'm flat out telling you, by mid-October, people are getting evicted. Uh, whether the media covers it or not, You know, the same way they didn't really cover the Oregon riots for about six weeks, it, that's up to them but people will be evicted in within the next two weeks if they don't have the money to pay the landlords. So it, am I convinced that this means Biden wins if there's stimulus? No, the same way I'm not convinced that Biden doesn't win if there's no stimulus. But what I do know is if they don't do it, what I think the American people are gonna think, which is, are we really prioritizing a judge over me being able to buy food or pay my rent? I think it's as simple as that. I think the democratic message will be as simple as that. And I think it's going to resonate. And I will tell you, I did an interview with, if you listen to it with Chris, uh, Chris Darkey a couple of days ago, and I didn't even think of the Affordable Care Act angle. That case is scheduled to be heard the week after the election. Well, from what I have been told, They plan on making COVID. Now, whether this happens or not is irrelevant because we're talking about for argument's sake and how they're going to frame things for voters and things like that. They're talking about claiming that COVID is a pre-existing condition. If they get rid of the Affordable Care Act, the biggest thing in the Affordable Care Act, among anything else in in that law, is the prohibition on denying insurance for pre existing conditions? I am never going to vote for a Democrat personally. But if they nominate this justice and this justice is seated, and that case I know is coming before the court a week after the election, I am voting for Joe Biden because they will for sure with the makeup of the current court, strike down the ACA. And by the way, they don't have to seat the justice. That's another story, but it will make it slam dunk. The ACA will be overturned. And I don't want to get into that on this podcast. It's, it's beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. But for legal reasons, the ACA is dead when it gets to the Supreme Court, as it's currently constructed, unless John Roberts upholds it. But if they get this justice in, it's, it's 100% dead and the insurance companies are going to get rid of the the prohibition on denying coverage for preexisting conditions that in and of itself i happen to think if the democrats view their message that way means biden wins in a landslide and i do mean landslide because food shelter healthcare they're food and shelter are one and two but healthcare is for sure a close third and if people's health care are in jeopardy for pre-existing conditions, I mean, the way they talk about COVID and how it can affect the kidneys, the lungs, the heart, you can make a claim legally, and I'm telling you this as a lawyer, that everything, if you have a COVID antibody, is related to COVID, and thus your coverage is denied. Now, whether the media goes down this path, how far down that path they want to go, can't tell you. But- the fact that a pre-existing condition is in jeopardy of that protection going away. For me personally, I will vote for Biden with double fists because I don't like his policies. There's nothing I'll ever agree with, with a Democrat, but I personally think given where we are with the state of the pandemic and things of that nature, that that overrides any other concerns I have. And I will deal with voting him out in four years, but, you cannot have pre-existing conditions be eliminated in the middle of a pandemic. That's absolute insanity. And that's why I saw Pelosi doing it the other night. I happen to not even think about it, but now that I've thought about it, this will become the number one issue of the entire election.
0: Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting if it does, because, uh, the president likes to go left of, uh, whatever the democratic candidate he did it to hillary clinton and it'll be interesting to see if he does it on health care but I, I don't know it'll be yeah that's a pretty wild uh you know idea of allow it. i mean it, it's really crazy what's happening in the insurance industry as a whole and and health care in general and i've had some experience working in it I've just seeing everything getting um consolidated it's just one big uh uh, all agape pretty much, and it's growing more yeah. and more so. Um, you're a fan of
1: George, you're a fan of George Carlin.
0: You know, I haven't listened to a ton of George I bet Carlin. You are.
1: Yeah, you should because you should listen to the big club. Oh, yes, yeah. mm-hmm. we ain't mm-hmm. <laughs> you should go do that when we get off this podcast. And I would highly recommend I would listen to everything that that guy had to say because he is politically genius and. <laughs> I wish he was alive today because he would quite literally have exploded to a degree that he he never did because he wasn't around during social media. But everything that he talked about in the 90s and early 2000s is coming to fruition right now. He was a little early, but he wasn't wrong about anything. And he's my favorite comedian of all time.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, I am familiar with the big club. Um, there's been a uh, a saying recently that I like, it, it, or a term that I've been using a lot, which is wage slavery. Uh, and I think that's another good uh, playoff of the big club and you're not in it, um, just being dependent. Oh. Oh, but go ahead. I have
1: to tell you, you have to do two things. I, you have to promise me this. You will listen to Prison Farms. And airline announcements before tonight's over.
0: All right. Prison farms and airline announcements.
1: They're fantastic. You will like them. All right. <laughs> Go ahead with the rest.
0: Yeah. So I've been I've been having a, a lot of different conversations with people, and uh, I've always been somebody who has had this gut feeling that there's something wrong, um, and I. Um, and what you call would call a third culture kid I, th- I think that 's what it's called where I grew up uh, kind of in between cultures, uh, living over in Ukraine for a short bit, um, and then coming and moving to move into the u s and not fitting into either one, just like seeing uh, things from kind of an outside perspective. Um, a lot of the people that I've been talking to uh, and have followed over the years it 's interesting to you know kind of like you talked about um, his predictions coming true. Uh, you can see like the hypocrisy and, and shortcomings in our society, um, and see the potential implications over of them over a long term. Um, and I feel like right now it's a really important time to be, uh, as overwhelming as it is to be in the midst of the chaos, uh, which, you know, I kind of thrive in these types of situations cause I'm a little bit addicted to chaos, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I've fallen into uh, Bitcoin is because it, it's um, a completely different monetary policy uh, that addresses a lot of the issues uh, that we're seeing today. Um, what Do you have any exposure experience with uh, Bitcoin?
1: I have zero. And, and I beg you to get rid of your Bitcoin <laughs> right. because I, I don't see a scenario where it's going to survive more than five to 10 years. Hmm. I think it, I think it is a placeholder for what comes next. Um, and I have a, a lot of reasons for that. The main one being, and, and I know what you're about to say, which is it's outside the system and it can't be controlled by government and blah, blah, blah. I don't care. At the end of the day, the government makes laws. They can find a way to make sure that Bitcoin is unsustainable and or it loses value. And they have the guns and missiles. And I get it. I really don't want to debate you on it because I really like where this podcast has been. (laughs) But... I am not a believer in bitcoin. I'm a believer in cryptocurrencies cuz I think that's the future. But I don't believe that bitcoin is any is in any way shape or form where it ends up. I think that there are there are going to be technologies that replace it just like there are there are you know Edison made a light bulb and then the light bulbs were improved, right? I think you're going to have that evolution. I think bitcoin was first but it's not the the adopted thing i think there's something either invented that we don't know about or that's out there and is going to be adopted or there's something still to come but it's not bitcoin um for for many 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 reasons and i think if governments really felt bitcoin was a threat they would have already cramped down on it um but they're not they're letting it float and i I personally would tell you just crypto yes the technology that Bitcoin espouses, yes. Bitcoin itself, no way.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. No, I appreciate it. I d- definitely don't want to push back because I'm kind of curious to hear a little bit more on the opinion. So, wh- where would you encourage people to have their money right now? Are you a gold person, or uh... I, I,
1: I don't have a clue. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I mean I I, <laughs> I would have thought gold would 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 be be considered a safe haven right now, but gold, I think today sold off what, like 4% silver is down like 30% in five days. I I mean, I have no clue. I, I think here's the deal. And I think you'll, you'll recognize this, especially if you Bitcoin, we're at the end of a Ponzi scheme. So all bets are off on everything. Right. (laughs) So I I just think at the end of the day, it's not Bitcoin. that's what matters. So, do I think it's gold? I hope it's gold. I'm a gold guy because I think it's real money, right? I think it's money for 3,000 years. I think it's what people are going to want at the end of the day. I know central banks are buying it. I know governments are buying it. I'm smart enough to follow the money. If people are buying, if the governments are buying gold and the central banks are buying gold, I want to follow what they're doing. So do I think gold has a role here in some form or fashion? Yes. Do you know how or where we get there? Nope. No idea. Um, but I, I mean, I quite literally don't understand anything going on right now because the market's fake. Everybody knows it's fake. It's inflated by fake dollars. Everybody who buys Bitcoin subscribes to this. We all know this, but where this ends up and how we get there. No clue.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's a really interesting take on it. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with gold. I'm watching it pretty closely. We had a pretty big sell off, and same thing with Bitcoin. Uh, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it. Is, I was th- I was doing a lot of pondering on that today. As far as I, have placed a pretty big
1: bet on Bitcoin. Um, it, it, I, they, but yeah. the, but the I mean honestly, the the reasonable answer is nobody knows. You're mm-hmm. you're in the middle of a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. You're in the middle of a What are we, 1971, we went off the gold standard? You're in the middle of a 50-year Ponzi scheme, and you're near the end of it. (laughs) So all bets are off as far as everything goes. Um, I just have an opinion that it's not Bitcoin. Sure. I I think the technology was put in place for somebody else to adopt and improve upon, and Bitcoin ends up by the wayside. But the technology is real so if you can tell me how to invest in the technology i'm on board but i'm not investing in bitcoin
0: interesting yeah it's an interesting point that you brought up um if governments felt that it was a threat they would have cracked down more on it and there are some uh you know typical responses to that but yeah for the sake of this i won't get into it but um yeah uh Whew. so what do you see for the future of uh, American small businesses
1: pain um, it, 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 they need to they need to start lending or or we we're gonna have pain in quarter one I, I mean I, do you follow Greg Minerino at all
0: mm, no
1: you should um, he is he's He's been pretty spot on about a lot of the stuff that's going on. And, and being a Bitcoin guy, I think you would like him a lot, actually. Um, but, you know, he he thinks it's a culling. that They're trying to get rid of small businesses so they can in, impose whatever, you know, the new world order is going to be. Um, and given the way lending's going, I don't know that I, you know, let's put it this way. In April, I thought he was a crackpot. Now I think he might actually be on to every single thing that's going on. So if you're in the business of, of lending money and understanding money and, and dealing with small business, and, and I, I'm dealing with you know 25 different banks at all different levels of the, of the, the, the scale, from a $200,000 loan to a 50 million dollar loan, right? I'm dealing up and down the, the scale there's something going on that's bigger than I can interpret and I'm not smart enough to do it. Um, I have some guesses, which I've sort of talked about here, but something big, way bigger than I can fathom this happening. Um, and so his theory is basically that small businesses are being culled in favor of big business bailouts and, you know, so basically you know, for all intents and purposes, it's the literal definition of fascism. Um, I, I, I don't want to go that far. I, I, I don't want to sound like a loon, but I, I don't know how other, I don't know another word to describe it other than fascism at this point. Um, we're going to bail out the airlines for what, $50 billion? Well, give that to the people. I guarantee the airlines don't need a bailout, right? I, I, I Like, I just don't understand the priorities and the prerogatives that are going on. So there's something bigger going on and like like George Carlin said, it's a big club, and we ain't in it. So all we're doing is guessing it what it what they expect to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could totally see that. Uh, we've I I like to watch the um, the uh, House hearings when they march the tech people in and just yell at them and.
1: It's such a... It's for show. There's, yeah. there's no other reason. They don't even know what they're talking about. I mean, yeah. hell, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an older millennial. And I understand tech. I don't understand tech the way you do, I promise you. And I look at these people asking these questions and I'm like, oh my God, you understand quite literally nothing. I'm like, there, there are things that get said and I'm like, I have no idea what people are talking about. And I use tech, I'm a millennial. I, I grew up with it. So I understand a lot of it, right? You're gonna understand way more than me. That's how it's gonna work going down the chain, right? I, I would argue that probably a 12-year-old has more knowledge of tech, technology than I do when it comes to the internet and programming and stuff like that. But that's how it works. But congressmen are absolutely useless, they have no clue. They they quite they're literally, and I hate saying this, but they are retards when it comes to asking these questions because they don't even half of them don't even know what email is and how to set up a webpage and, and how to set up a, a YouTube channel They they are phenomenally incompetent when it comes to tech.
0: Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. One of them was uh, blasting the CEO of alphabet about uh, why his uh, campaign emails were going to people's spam box. And it's like, that's what you're going to use your time for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like where we're at right now, um, you know, the Federal Reserve's job is to protect the big banks. Uh, the big banks are not here to serve, you know, their customers. They're, it's almost like they're here to consume their customers. And then, uh, you know, the government is here to protect, um, you know, the system and to allow these companies to gain more power. And one of the crazy things that I saw, um, it was a headline about, you know, all the big banks like JP Morgan, HSBC, and and of course Deutsche Bank, you know, the dirtiest bank of them all uh, were- Shocking. What's that?
1: I said shocking. Yeah. Deutsche Bank and HSBC were involved, very shocking.
0: Yeah, I mean, they just got busted for money laundering again for, nefarious characters and uh you know what's what, getting- what
1: for 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 spoofing for spoofing metal prices yeah it I don't know if your listeners know this, so I'm gonna help you out and if you didn't see this i I suggest you see it. did you see the article about the quote unquote inflows into the silver e t f did you see this
0: I think i might have skimmed
1: across it, but no, I didn't take note of it. They, so to help you out, silver on a bullion basis, meaning what people buy coins with and 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 the the bars and whatnot, is fifteen percent of what is mined out of the ground. Okay. Fair.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The silver ETF. <laughs> Pro shares or whoever the hell holds this I don't know I don't care they've had 40 percent of the silver that was mined this year quote-unquote inflowed into the fund so what <laughs> only 15 percent goes to bullion but the fund got 40 percent in a 40 percent inflow into physical bullion Something doesn't add up here. It's all manipulated. It's all ridiculous. And it's all a joke. So I understand why all you guys like like Bitcoin because it's off the grid. I, but trust me, we all share the same philosophy. But I highly recommend your listeners look into that about the bullion percent that is, that is put into, you know, the silver mining that's put into bullion versus what the silver ETF claims that they've put into bullion in the vaults that people can, can redeem should they want it. Very interesting. 40% increase in the last six months. Interesting considering you know Pan American silver, which is one of the largest silver miners in the world, quite literally did not put that silver into the market until quarter three because they were waiting for higher prices. So I would really love to know how they got a 40% inflow when one of the biggest miners wouldn't put any of their silver into the market. Very interesting scenario. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, and You know, just happens to coincide with JP Morgan getting a billion dollar fine, you know, for manipulating metals prices, which my guess is they made back today with silver down 8%. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. they, they i mean one of the the funniest things that i saw i can't remember if it was this year or last year everything's just such a blur but uh (laughs) was discussing about how the dollar uh, has never been used for nefarious activities um uh and referring to bitcoin as being you know that thing that you can go and use um to buy drugs on the internet and whatever and just like seeing the scale at which this manipulation
1: and and, it's absurd yeah it's absurd there's it it, we we, you and i live in the same world except i don't believe in bitcoin i believe in gold and silver we live in the exact same world trust me yeah it's just that i I have a feeling that bitcoin is going to get overrun by governments and it's why i would buy it on the tech if there was a technology right like so i i've had many people tell me to buy ripple because it's being integrated with banks and things like that. Now, I don't know enough about the space, right? So, so I don't know. But I would, I'm in, I buy the technology aspect because I know we're going digital. I know we're going digital fiat. And I know it's going to be on a scale that nobody can imagine, right? I know that's coming. Sure. I just don't subscribe to Bitcoin being part of that solution, which is why I don't like it. That's why I'm in gold and silver. But in terms of, you know, personally being against the system and thinking it's a joke, you will never find a bigger advocate than me, ever.
0: Sure. Yeah. Please don't invest in Ripple. That's a bunch of garbage. And (laughs) it's a a big. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you. (laughs) Just because banks are investing. Yeah. Um,
1: I'm doing research.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think like one of the biggest aspects when you're talking about the technology of of what makes something like a cryptocurrency so powerful is um, its ability to self-settle, meaning that you don't need third-party intermediaries to um, uh, facilitate the transaction. So uh, I had a funny conversation. This is like Christmas dinner conversation with my family last year. Uh, where we were sitting around and talking about how we would uh, come up with a potential lawsuit against a business that refused to take cash in downtown Chicago uh, because my stepdad wanted to buy a muffin and they refused um, and made him. I
1: don't think they, I don't think they can quite frankly, actually.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it, it may be illegal, but um, it's kind of a growing thing, especially like right now I've seen a lot more businesses uh, go away from cash Um, and the danger of that is it locks so many people out of the system because we have so many people that are unbanked, um, that operate only on cash. Or, you know, I was even talking to a business owner, um, who just bought a barber shop and these people were, uh, not paying taxes and living on cash only, um, you know, they would be completely locked out if we moved away from cash. So, you you know, we need something that, um, self settles uh, unless we're gonna have everybody be completely dependent on the banking system which you know a lot of us already are um and so that's one of the really interesting ideas and and when the um the house is talking about uh implementing a digital dollar that's a big discussion uh point that's coming up is the ability let to me... oh good
1: let, let me stop you for a second sure because you're young do you, do you gamble at all no, well, I All own right.
0: Bitcoin, so you might think that's gambling. Well,
1: that's not gambling. <laughs> okay. Well, it is, but it's but that but that but that's that's responsible gambling because you have a position and you're sticking to it, and you'll see what happens. There's a difference. That's not true gambling. All right, I'm I'm going to give you a gambling sort of analogy here. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you play blackjack, actually, that's less relevant. When you play poker, you want to feel the chips. You want to shuffle them in your hands. You want, to, you want to move them between your fingers. You want to do XYZ. You don't want to touch a screen. I think it's the same thing when it comes to the dollar slash money. Hmm. I don't think people want to live in a world where they can't touch their money. I think it's really as simple as that. Now, I could be very wrong in that. You can call me old. I don't care. But if I go to a racetrack, I want to plop down $100 on the window and say, give me $100 to win on the five horse. I don't want to touch a digital screen. The same way that and I'm going to give you the, the parallel. There's a reason that there are credit cards because... There are studies that show this, and we don't have to get into all of them. We don't have to get into them at all. But there are studies that show that people will spend less when they have to part with physical cash mm-hmm. versus a credit card. This is not debate. This is this is fact. This sure. has been studied ad nauseum. So it's the same thing to me with a a digital currency only. I don't know that you'll ever get a, a true adoption of digital currency nationally and worldwide because there are many people who want to hold their money. That that If you want to ask my number one position with Bitcoin and why I'm against it, that's it. That's why I'm against the whole digital system in general. I don't think it's going to happen. I think there is going to be a digital system just like we have now. But you'll always be able to redeem it for something physical. And that's the shortcoming of Bitcoin. Because there are going to be plenty of people who will not subscribe to to, a digital system where someone can just computer virus or, or hack into their account and take all their money. Believe me, there are plenty of people who feel that way. It doesn't matter how secure someone says it is, it doesn't matter. There are going to be people who will not feel secure unless they can physically hold it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely think about my uh, my grandparents or my mom in that situation. I don't. Think, is... I don't even
1: think it's that heavy. I think there are plenty of millennials who would feel the same. Sure. That they want to touch their money because how many times have you ever had your email hacked and everything erased? Mm-hmm. I have. Mm-hmm. I have. I've had it done personally. I've had it done in a business because I opened up a program, you know, cause there were computer, you know, I'm a, I'm an older millennial. Computer viruses were rampant, right? They, they, they put the picture of the hot girl on the screen. When you're 22, you open it, you click it, you have a computer virus. What if all of a sudden you did that and all of your money was gone? Cause that's what you're talking about. If you go totally digital, that will happen to plenty of people. And, and so that's why I don't see, I don't, know how you have full digital adoption because i don't know how you can ever solve that issue i don't know how you can solve the stupidity problem i guess more importantly
0: what what do you mean about the stupidity problem
1: meaning, meaning people clicking on things they shouldn't signing up for things they mm-hmm. shouldn't phish, phishing emails all all that stuff it, it's the stupidity factor yeah it's not necessarily you it's not me, but there are people that are, you know, forty-five years old where that still applies, fifty years old where that still applies. So you still have thirty years. Say, let's call the cutoff fifty, just for argument's sake. You have people who will need money for the next thirty years who are plainly stupid when it comes to technology.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a steep literacy uh, learning curve, and uh, that's the thing that's so frustrating about uh, cryptocurrencies, is because it is. Such a huge paradigm shift. Um, I mean, we've seen all these scams on on YouTube where there's these paid advertisements. Uh, you send me uh, x amount, I'll send you back double, and of course, that never never follows yeah, through. it's but.
1: it's the it's the, it's the, the you know the African Somali scam, yep. right? Mm-hmm. The Nigeria scam. It's the same thing. Yep. But if you eliminate physical physical dollars and physical money. It doesn't have to be dollars, just physical money in general. Well, that scam becomes a lot more problematic, right? So, it it's just I I get where all everybody's going with crypto and digital and all of that, but I think it's twenty to thirty years away. I'm on the older side, right? You're 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 what twenty two, twenty three? I'm guessing. You're you're you know twenty years younger than me, right? I'm on the older side of the equation, but I understand it. I'm going to be one of the last adopters because I still remember the old system, right? But you've got 30 years of people that need to die off before your system has any chance of being adopted nationally and worldwide. You just sure. do. You, you, because I'll adopt it because I understand that I don't know how to mitigate my risk. My parents who are 60, you know, 65 years old, they have no clue how to mitigate their risks at all. They'd be like, I have to put my money online and it can get hacked by some, you know, some pirate. No, I don't want that at all. That's what you're dealing with, and you have another twenty more years before that goes away. You know, I'll adopt it, you know, when I know it's safe, because I know that I'll know it's safe. My parents will have no clue, right? And and that's what you're. That's what you have to factor into all of this discussion. And I think between now and the next twenty years, I know you're you're you know you're a Bitcoin guy. That's why I don't think Bitcoin makes it, because I think something's going to usurp it before you get that widespread adoption, right? I think it's the precursor to whatever comes. So I get it, and I, and I believe in the concept. I think we're going crypto. I think we're going blockchain. I think we're going everything that Bitcoin represents. But I think at the end of the day, there's something that the governments are going to install that, that usurps it, and we come back to, if you want to be outside the system, because if the government's going digital, you want to be physical, right? So I think you end up being in gold. I think you're more a gold bug than you think you are because the government's going digital. So you want to be the opposite of what they're doing. You want to be in physical.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point. And yeah, I do think I'm more of a, well, I am a gold bug. Um, And I just need to, I'm just uneducated. I don't know where to get gold from. And I think that's one of the, the things that like drives people around my age to Bitcoin is just the ease of access. But yeah, I appreciate your uh, perspectives on it because I feel like it's always important to, uh, you know, l- be able to listen to the pushback and and welcome it because it it strengthens uh, your perspective. And um, I do think you have a lot of really legitimate concerns around it. Um, and the demographic,
1: did, did, yeah, I, I'm in the middle, right? Yeah. I'm not you, right? I know everybody your age loves crypto, Bitcoin, all that. I get it. Like I, I understand all that. I'm in the middle. <laughs> so I understand old money. I understand gold. I understand fiat. I understand Bitcoin. I, I, I mean, I don't understand Bitcoin the way you guys want to espouse it and, and all that first amendment bullshit. That's literally ridiculous. But, um, and I'm telling you that as a lawyer, it's quite literally ridiculous. Don't ever bring that up to anybody. Um, <laughs> It will never fly. It will get overturned in five seconds. But um, it's just one of those things where it's a a generational thing. And being in the middle as an older millennial, I actually can see both sides. And I know that what you guys are espousing is the future in terms of what it's going to be. It's just not going to be Bitcoin. And, that, and I, keep, I keep trying to tell people that, like, and I think of it this way. When's the last time a non-government sanctioned, you know, form of currency was allowed to exist? It doesn't. And, and when you consider the fact that majority of the Bitcoin holders and owners are under, you know, 30, 35, 40 years of age. Well, you guys aren't in power. And you're not going to get power for 20 years. You're going to get railroaded. You just don't know it yet. And you don't know how yet. And people are going to want to hold on to power because people who hold dollars and are like Bitcoin, what the fuck is that? are going to be like, yeah, no, we're going to protect dollars and we're going to get rid of Bitcoin. Cause I'm not going to lose my wealth to a 20 year old millennial. And I, I, I don't think that, that your demographic fully understands the power of like boomers because they're quite literally going to ensure that you guys get fucked they won't do it on purpose necessarily but they're going to ensure it because they're going to protect their own wealth sure
0: yeah i mean i don't have a lot of wealth or or sway to be able to um, determine or influence
1: a whole lot i i can get on my social media and yeah, I mean, but think of it this record. way. Yeah. When's the last time a 25-year-old changed the financial system? Because that's what we're really talking about, right? A bunch of 20, 20 to 30-year-olds being like, yeah, we're going to upset the whole financial system. We're going to revolutionize it. Yeah, I get it. I agree. It, it needs to happen, but sorry, you're not going to do it. <laughs> and, and more importantly, you're sure as hell not going to get rich trying to do it. You're going to get destroyed trying to do it. So – you know, the powers that be money makes the world go around and you're trying to change the money, the money of the world. Like just understand what, what the people who espouse Bitcoin are literally trying to do. It's a fuck you to every government that exists in the world. Like that's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love, I love all you guys. I espouse the theories. I hate the governments right along with you. It's just not going to happen. Like just be realistic. They got tanks, military, police, militia governments like there's just so many ways that it's just no good it's just going nowhere but I but I love the theory believe me I I think it's coming again it's not gonna be Bitcoin
0: yeah we'll see what happens over the next few months I think
1: um oh no but but just just so we're clear because I'm if any of your Bitcoin people listen to this I'm gonna get a bazillion like hate tweets, I think Bitcoin's <laughs> going to like $40,000, Just so you know that. Bitcoin's going through the roof. And then it's going to zero. So if you can ride that speculation train all the way up, because I think it's going way up. Just like everything else that is an anti-government sort of position going way up. Then the governments are going to be like, okay, that's enough. Time to go home. And I'm going to take my ball and you got to go home. <laughs> I think that's what happens. So I I think there's money to be made. I think there's a lot of money to be made if you're in Bitcoin. Just don't be the one last in line because you're going to get destroyed. But Bitcoin is for sure going up in the short term. It's just a question of when they execute the final solution and destroy you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm willing to ride it out till the end um because I feel like if Bitcoin fails there's a lot bigger problems than just me losing some money. But um so kind of on a different topic, what uh we've been talking a lot of doom and gloom. Uh what what yeah, are some things Oh, what what were you saying?
1: <laughs> i Said I'm good at that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I am too. I'm yeah. It's where I naturally kind of sit. Um, what, are, what are some things that uh, are giving you hope for the future right none. now?
1: None. I have none. Hmm. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> to your listeners. I have none. Hmm. Until this election's over, I have none. Because I think there's too many variables. I don't see any of them being positive. I see all of them being negative. And until I see the result... Um, I think we're we're in status quo towards catastrophe. Um, I think if Trump or Biden can win in a landslide fashion election night, a lot of my fears will go away. I don't see any scenario where that happens though. Like I don't see a single scenario where that can happen. So because of that, I have no hope for anything. Sorry, just don't.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So I I personally, I struggle to see um, – well, I I kind of see the election ending up in violence um, if Trump were well, to so win. Why? <laughs> if Yeah, well, if Trump were to win, but if, if Biden were to win, I don't really see the same potential for
1: violence. I do. I, I do, and I do in one scenario. It's only one scenario where I see that happening. If Biden wins election night, all of the problems disappear in that regard. The worst case scenario, and I do quite literally mean the worst case scenario possible, is Trump winning election night and mail-in ballots coming in over the next two weeks where Biden starts winning and Trump saying, yeah, I'm not going to honor these at all. I'm the president. Screw you. That is... I don't even have words for what's going to happen if that happens. I literally don't. Let's put it this way. I have nine months worth of food and water in my garage. I'm just going to leave it at that. And we can drop the subject right there. Because I have that much food. I have 25,000 rounds. I have guns. My house is not the house to screw with. But that's what it's going to come to if that scenario plays out. Because that scenario leads to military on the streets. The Are you familiar with Tom Cotton? A little bit, yeah. He's a senator from Arkansas who during the, the protests uh, for George Floyd were calling for Marines to be deployed on our streets with tanks to, quote, put down the protesters. That's what's coming if Trump wins on election night and then Biden starts pulling ahead. Because you're going to have about 45 days. We didn't get into the specifics, but the way that the litigation will work is you'll have a 45-day lag. You're going to have two rounds of litigation. The first is what is the cutoff date for what we count in each state, right? That's the first thing that gets litigated. Okay, we have ballots. Some ballots were submitted November 3rd, some November 10th, some October 15th. What gets counted? we have a national standard that's the first round of litigation but that's not where the fun starts the fun starts as the ballots start getting counted and then there are legal challenges to what was counted well that was ballot harvested that's not that guy's signature that's fraud that guy's an illegal immigrant he's not allowed to vote you don't get to that level until probably mid-december Because you have to challenge each individual ballot. Then you have to get through the court system. Then you have to get to the Supreme Court. So in my opinion, there's no way, absent a clear victory election night, that this election is decided before Inauguration Day. And so the question becomes, what happens between, say, November 10th and, say, January 1st? Is Trump rounding up the militia? Are the Democrats inciting riots? Who the hell knows? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows because we don't know the results. But if, if there's no clear result on November 3rd, God help us all. Because Trump's Twitter's not going to stop. And, and the, the left is not going to stop. So you, there's no scenario where this ends well at all unless there's a clear-cut victory on election night. And the only clear-cut victory you're going to have is if Biden wins because of demographics for the country, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Trump could win the Electoral College the same way Republicans have won it for years. That's fine. But from a pure demographic perspective, the only way a clear-cut victory happens is if Biden wins. If you don't have that, watch out. And if they haven't passed stimulus between now and November 3rd, you're adding broke evicted chaos with no possibility of stimulus till the earliest being February. Cause if once the election's contested, there's no way Congress is passing anything. So if they don't get it done in the next two to three weeks, you're talking about probably February before something happens in the best case scenario. So this is, this is a very, very, very bad time for, for many people because they don't give a shit about you and it's all about power and power grabs don't end. Well, if there's a, you know, if there's a potential coup involved and again, I don't lean one way or the other. I just know what both sides are going to say. Yeah. It'll,
0: it'll be interesting to see what happens. And at that point, it kind of depends on which, which way the military is going to lean and who they're going to back is to decide in the future. Uh, but, I,
1: I'm going to pray that it doesn't come to that. Yeah.
0: I, I really hope not to. Well, um,
1: how long did we talk? This is pretty long.
0: Yeah. It's been a while, probably about two hours. Well, I really appreciate you coming on uh, the channel and talking. I feel like I learned a lot. I'm going to have to, listen back and dissect the things you were talking about. Yeah. It is what
1: it is, man. It's just, I'm unbiased. It is what it is. So I don't have an agenda because clearly I have no monetary uh, impetus here. So I just spout it as I see it. Um, And I'm praying I'm wrong about a few things, but honestly, I've been right since June about a lot. I don't see me being wrong now. It's just, everything's coming to a head and we didn't even get into the worldwide issues, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which, which are another factor, which is even scarier. Yep. So mm-hmm. um, I will leave your listeners with this. The last act of every desperate government in the history of the world is star war. And everybody should be very, very, very much paying attention to Libya, Greece, Turkey, and China, Taiwan, China, Libya, uh, China, India, Um, and everything in the Middle East because always the Middle East. So, um, you know, we didn't get into my background on geopolitics. I'm not going to do that here. I have one. We're just not going to get into it. But that is um, the biggest danger to the world is bombs dropping somewhere while the U.S. is at their weakest in the next four months. And that, if you want to know my biggest fear, it's that because I don't know how you're going to galvanize an American people to do something uh, when we're divided to go fight a war that we don't want to fight when we're broke. So um, that's where I'll leave that. And hopefully your listeners had some value.
0: Yeah. Well, I think for everybody listening, they now understand why you are the fed up biz owner. (laughs) (laughs)
1: i do my best (laughs) I, i appreciate you man